0: cheaply amen we're going to the book of job this morning the 23rd chapter in the old testament just before the book of psalms and see how good it is to see everybody here in the house of the lord amen it is a good thing to be faithful to god's house david said i was glad when they said unto me let us go to the house of the lord amen he didn't say how often they said that he was just glad when it was time for church Amen. If you think that the amount of services we hold is a lot, you need to have a little bit of a look in the Old Testament about how busy they kept that temple and that tabernacle. Amen. There are faiths in this world where they have the hour of prayer three, four, and five times a day. Amen. And we think, oh, my Lord, I've got to go to church. Amen. If only God would open our eyes to see how privileged we are. Bless the Lord. Job chapter 23 and verse 8 passage that some of you will be familiar with a very well-loved passage of scripture it says behold i go forward but he is not there and backward but i cannot perceive him on the left hand where he doth work but i cannot behold him he hideth himself on the right hand that i cannot see him but but he knoweth the way that i take and when he has tried me I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His ways have I kept and not declined. Amen. I want to preach this morning to encourage somebody that he knows the way. He knows the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is to be in your house, Lord. And you know every single situation. You know every circumstance, every detail of every life that is in here. Lord God, you know every heart, every thought, every intent. And I pray today, Lord, that as we open your word, that Lord, your spirit would move on us and that faith would be mingled with your word. And Lord, that it would bring forth the fruit that you desire. Lord God, we pray for your anointing. Lord God, as we minister, we're just vessels of clay. But God, you have determined that that is how your word would be shared. And so Lord, we pray, Lord, speak through us today to your people. We ask you this in Jesus' wonderful name amen bless the lord the book of job is as you are aware positioned just before the book of psalms in the old testament it is however some of you will be aware that the word of the lord is not necessarily arranged in chronological order in other words it's not in the the sequence of exactly the order that things happened job was a man that probably lived around a similar time to the patriarch abraham so we need to be careful when we read the word of god don't assume that everything's in chronological order but job was a godly man the bible says job was a man of whom god was was proud of in fact god was so proud of job that he boasted to the devil about job and he said have you seen my servant job and the kind of man that he is and the righteous way that he lives and the devil basically challenged god and said he's only like that because you take such good care of him and in a conversation we That begin to take place backwards and forwards the lord granted the devil permission to cause trouble in job's life i'm not going to go into the detail of all of that story but job job basically lost everything that he had his children all of his material possessions it just was gone and still the bible says that he was faithful to the lord and still he, he he kept his integrity and then the devil came back to the Lord and the Lord said, see, I told you, he's a good man. And the devil said, skin for skin, let me touch his flesh, let me touch his body. And I, I hope that as much as I would like the Lord to be proud of me, I kind of hope he doesn't have that conversation with the devil about me because I don't think I'm of the same quality that Job was. But the Lord said to the devil, he said, you can touch his flesh, but you cannot take his life and the devil in the fashion that only he is capable of being so evil afflicted Job terribly in his body and brought about great suffering and Job went through a time that was very hard for him he questioned himself he questioned his God he questioned everything in his life because as he understood as he could see as what he could see the path before him he hadn't done anything wrong He was looking for an error in the way that had caused his circumstance. He was looking for some failure in his own conduct that had brought him to this place. And he had three friends that are often referred to as Job's comforters, and they came and sat with him for a while, and they helped him try to find what he'd done wrong as well. Good friends. But Job had not sinned. In fact, as backwards as it seems to us, it was Job's righteousness that allowed this trial to come into his life and the passage that we read is is a part of it's quite a long book some 40 some chapters long and this passage is Job basically saying "I, i can't work things out i'm trying to find god i'm trying to find where god is at because i have some questions for god i want to know why But fortunately for Job, even though he said, said, whatever direction I look in, whether I'm looking in front or behind or on my left or on my right, he said, this thing I know, God knows the way. He could not find what he was looking for, but in that frustration, he still had something to hang on to, and he said, God knows exactly where I'm at. And this morning in this place, wherever your situation is, God knows exactly where you're at this morning. I may not, and you may not even know exactly where you're at this morning, but God knows the way. Amen. I'm glad today that He knows the way. And if we will be like Job and trust Him and put our confidence in Him, He will keep us. Like Job said, He knows the way. If He allows me to go through difficulties, He's going to bring me forth like gold. But the key was that Job said, I've kept His way. You see, there is a way, the Bible says. The book of Proverbs, I think it says it a couple of times. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. My way. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. There is a way that, some of you are too young to even get that reference, but some of you older folks know who I'm talking about. There is a way, the Bible says, that seemeth right unto a man. But the end thereof is death. And because man has always had a tendency to choose his own way, Man has put himself in a position of death, spiritually and physically. That's why when you read the book of Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, it's an incredible chapter of prophecy because it was written some six or 700 years before Jesus was born and yet it outlines who he is and what he will do. And we, so many of us know Isaiah 53 and 5, where it tells us that He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and how the chastisement of our peace was upon Him and with His stripes we are healed. But the reason that all of that was necessary is in verse 6. Because it says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And because we had all gone our own way, Jesus had to come. He had to be willing to bear upon himself the suffering in our place. And he bore that upon him, himself upon the cross of Calvary. Why? Because we chose our own way. We chose our own way. In Jerusalem. There is a a path or a a laneway or a street, we might call it, called the Via Dolorosa. Some of you probably heard of that. That word is Latin. It means the way of suffering. They say traditionally, whether it's exactly accurate or not, doesn't really matter. But they say that it was the path that Jesus traveled from his trial to go out the city of Jerusalem to, to Calvary's Hill to be crucified for our suffering. He went the way of suffering. Whether that exact cobbled street is exactly where he walked is not really important. The important thing is that he went that way. The important thing is that because of what you and I have done, he went the way that was necessary for us to be saved. And when we jump into John chapter 14, if you want to turn there with me this morning, 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, we are only hours in the timeline of Jesus' life. In John 14, we are only hours from his crucifixion very shortly after this conversation he's betrayed by one of his disciples we know as judas he's taken he's tried and they have to bring in false accusers because they couldn't find that he'd done anything wrong but right up in this this moment just before all that begins to happen in john 14 and 1 he says let not your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me in my father's house and many mansions it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Jesus is coming back, church. He's coming back for his church. Amen. And he said, when I come back, I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And then in verse 4, he says, and whither I go, you know, and the way. And he says, you know, where, you know where I'm going and you know how I'm going to get there they didn't he said that but they were struggling to comprehend many of the things that he said they understood them later on but his disciples struggled to get some of the concepts that jesus was communicating and thomas expressed that sentiment when he said lord in verse five we know not whither thou goest." go so in other words we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way and then jesus it's almost as if he, he changes a little bit the focus and he says i am The way, the truth, and the life. He said. He was talking about the fact there was something that he had to do. That right then and there, they couldn't come with him. He had to do it on his own. But then he said, "When once it's done, there will be a way. There will be a different way for you to live. There will be a different path for you to follow." He said, "And I am that way." said you follow me you go the pathway that I went and I'm glad we don't have to go to a literal cross today but we still have to go to a place where one life stops and another life starts where an old man dies and a new man finds life amen he said I am the way and he created a way that previously there was no way the gospel of Matthew the 7th chapter Jesus said that there is a straight gate or a narrow gate a narrow entry point And it leads to a narrow way. But he said there's also a broad way. And he said there'll be few that find the narrow way. He said but there's going to be many that enter into the broad way. It's like one's a, a six lane highway and the other one's just a narrow little path. And basically the Lord is telling us you need to make a choice. There are two ways. Which one will you walk on? Which way will be, you know, they're not physical locations. You look on Google Maps on the internet and put in the narrow way, you will not get an address. I know, I tried. If you put in the Broadway, you will get an address. It's in New York, it's where they do lots of shows. I tried that as well. But there is not a physical location that separates the narrow way from the Broadway even though in so many ways they are complete opposites from one another. It's not a physical location. In fact, two of us could be standing side by side in the same place and one beyond the narrow way and one beyond the broad way. Because the choice of which way you walk and which way you travel is not a physical direction, but it is a spiritual decision. It is based upon decisions you make with your life in response to or rejection of the Word of God. That's how you choose which way you're going to walk. That's why the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, there'll be two people working in a field, side by side. One will go and one will stay. Because one was on the narrow way and one was on the broad way that leads to destruction. And yet they're in the same physical location. So when we talk about the Lord knowing the way He's, He's not some sort of GPS system. that He does know your address, trust me. But he's a whole lot more interested in the spiritual house that you are than your physical house. He's a whole lot more interested in you being filled with his spirit and being a temple of God than whether you live in a little tiny place or a mansion. Your physical address is not that significant in the sight of God. But your spiritual location is massive. It is huge in the sight of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews talked to us about the straight way and the narrow way. He said it is a new and a living way. The old way leads to destruction and an eternity without God. The new way leads to life everlasting. Amen. The psalmist said that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and that he delighteth in his way. That means you want to find out, God, what is the way that you would have me to go? How is it that you would have me to live? What is it that you would have me to be, to do, to my my whole life, Lord? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. How do you become a good man? You let God order your steps. We have a lot of different ideas about what a good man is. But the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The psalmist also asked the question, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Or in other words, wherewithal means by what means? How is it possible for a young man to cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. Amen. I, I was taught to memorize that scripture as a young man, and I'm glad that I did because the word of God is what will direct your pathway. We ministered about that last weekend. It is the word of God that will help us to cleanse our ways. Amen. But what do we do in that situation where we're like Job? God, I don't know where you are. We've all been there. We didn't know which way our life was heading. We didn't know what was going on. And we didn't feel like we could find God. But Job gives us some insight in that he teaches us that when we're in that situation, we trust God. We don't go off looking for magical cures and fixes, but we trust God and we trust his word. Because there will be times that you don't know where God is. You know, there are some times where it just seems like God's all over you every day. Sometimes you get up in the morning to pray. The presence of the Lord is there. You drive down the street in your car, you can feel the presence of the Lord. It's just like everywhere you, you go, you can feel the spirit of the Lord. And then there are other seasons of our lives where it seems like you could come to church every night of the week and not feel the presence of the Lord. And you feel like Job. You say, Lord, I'm looking looking everywhere lord but where are you and that's when we have to trust the lord that he knows the way that we take See, the thing is this this morning and i'm not going to be very long at all today but whatever way we're choosing god knows the way we're on the right way he knows the way if we're not on the right way he knows that as well in fact he knows exactly where we're at he knows if you're in a position where you're not sure if you can keep it up You can go the distance. In Luke chapter 22, the Lord said to Simon Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, strengthen your brethren. Why was Jesus talking to Peter about that? Because just a short while after that, Peter denied the Lord. Peter had an error. Peter made a mistake. Peter failed. And the Lord knew that Peter's faith would be rocked. That man that had so much confidence and, you know, he was one of those personalities that was, you know, go hard or go home. There was nothing subtle about the apostle Peter. He was just like a bull at a gate. And we all know people like that. And he was so quick to just, well, Lord, I don't care what all these other guys do. You and me, Jesus, all the way. And the Lord said, Peter, you're going to deny me. No, not me, Lord. Not me. And then just a few hours after he made those great statements, he denied the Lord. And the Lord said, I prayed for you, Peter. I don't want your faith to fail. And this morning, I believe God wants to speak to somebody. You're in a place and you feel like you've made some mistakes. Maybe some choices you've made haven't been the greatest. Maybe you're not exactly sure about which way your life is going. God wants you to keep the faith don't let your faith fail you made some mistakes i don't know who i'm talking to this morning but i'm feeling the holy ghost you're in a place where you're feeling unsure if you're going to be able to make it another day serving the lord or maybe you're making some decisions and you're not sure if they're the right ones trust the lord god's hand is still upon you god's eye is still upon you amen there's nobody that god doesn't see and sometimes we feel like we're insignificant we don't matter The other people are important, not me. The other people, they're the ones that God watches. But I could just slip through the cracks and nobody would notice. You know, sometimes maybe there wouldn't be people that notice, but God notices. God sees every single soul. Every single one of us, the eye of God is upon. That's why the Lord said in, in, in Matthew chapter 10, he said this. He said, ah, not two sparrows. Sold for a farthing. Very small amount of money. Two sparrows. And he said, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. In other words, I see when these little insignificant, meaningless birds fall down. How much more do you think I care for you? How much more? You know, a sparrow, a sparrow was a bird of very little worth. It was the sort of thing that people would buy when they were poor and desperate for some sort of protein in their diet. And we spoke about quail last weekend. Quail were good looking compared to sparrows. In fact, sparrows were so insignificant that in, in Luke's version of that same passage, Luke doesn't say that one sparrow is sold, two sparrows, or is sold for a farthing. He says that five sparrows are sold for two farthings. So if you're doing the maths, in, in Matthew's account, two sparrows for one farthing. In Luke's account, five sparrows for two farthings. So in other words... You, you spend two farthings, they throw on a, a free sparrow. You get an extra one. You get a bonus because two farthings should have only been four sparrows. And the, the, the point is that they're, they're of such little value. They're of such little significance. But the Lord said not one of them is forgotten before God. Not one of them does God not see fall to the ground because he's God and he cannot not see it. But then he said in Luke's version in, in chapter 12 of the Gospel of Luke that the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, I don't know anybody, I better be careful here, that, does, that knows how many hairs they have on their head. Some people might be closer than others to working that out. But very few of us know how much hair we've got on our head. I wouldn't even try to count. even want to even bother to try to work that out. And the the point of that is not that God's obsessive about things, but that God knows everything. And so when you're in a position when you feel like you're without significance, he knows the way. When you're in a circumstance where you feel like that nobody cares and nobody loves you and nobody's worried about you, and you know there may be times where that's true because humanity is limited. We'd like to say we always care about everybody, but we are limited. But God knows the way. The hairs of your head, and the Lord said, you are of more value than many sparrows, than many sparrows. There's an old song that some of you will know that's called, His Eye is on the Sparrow. talks about, it says, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely and long for heaven and home? And the, the writer is basically saying, I feel those things sometimes. But then he says, but Jesus is my portion. A constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I only have a simple thought for somebody this morning, but God knows the way. Young person, you're not sure where your life is headed, put your hand in God's hand. Amen. If you're not happy with the direction of your family this morning, anybody... Put your life in God's hands. If you're confused about the way, He knows the way. But you've got to trust Him. I I don't want to be found on the wrong way. Because, you know, that's the the awesome thing. Remember we spoke about it's not a physical thing. I can be standing here, right here on this carpet tile, and be in the wrong way, and then cry out to the Lord, confess my issues, repent of my sins if I need to, and without moving half an inch... I can go from being on the broad way to being on the narrow way without even moving my shoes. I can travel a vast distance spiritually. I mean, that's why we can all be in the house of the Lord this morning and all be in different places. That's why some of you in this place this morning know exactly where you are and what God's doing. Some of you haven't got a clue which way He's up. Some of you are making decisions you know God doesn't want you to make and you're wrestling with them. And I'm telling you, He knows the way. He knows where you're at this morning. He knows exactly where your life is headed. Amen. Never make serious decisions about your life when you're not sure where you're at. It's a dangerous thing to do. It's like making making a financial decision when you're angry. Ever made a financial decision when you were angry? And then afterwards thought, what in the world? Remember when my wife and I lived in Cairns? There was a, a, a cyclone coming near to Cairns. It was not long before we moved to Perth. And they were suggesting that, you know, there were certain precautions we needed to take. See, I grew up in North Queensland. Cyclones, unfortunately, were not a rare thing. We sort of were pretty familiar with what to do. And my wife grew up in Melbourne where they don't get cyclones. And so there's all these warnings on the radio. So my wife went out and bought this gas thing because we were going to ride out this, this terrible cyclone. And I thought, we don't need that silly gas thing. And so I wanted to take it back and get my money back. But the man at the shop refused to give me my money back. He said, no, that's the terms and conditions and blah, blah, blah. And I argued with him. and I said, come on, I don't want this thing. I don't need it. And, but he would not give me my money back. The only thing he would do was exchange that. So because I was upset, I traded that gas cooker for some silly pocket knife don't make financial decisions when you're upset and somebody stole the pocket knife not long after that anyway so god knows the way that we take sons if you're in this place and you don't know what it is to be born again god knows exactly where you're at this if you've never been baptized in jesus name never repented of your sins never been filled with the holy ghost and all of this crazy behavior you saw this morning you don't understand But God knows exactly where you're at. He knew that you would be here this morning. He knew that you would hear me tell you that he knows where you're at. And if you'll give him a chance, he will show you the better way. Let's stand together this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord. Sister Aline, if you would come to the piano, please. even the very hairs of your head are all numbered fear not therefore you are of more value than many sparrows god had a way when jesus walked the earth he had a way of reaching out to those that were seemingly insignificant sometimes even the people that the other people didn't want to know zacchaeus zacchaeus come down out of the tree we're going to your house for lunch today nobody liked zacchaeus and with good reason he was a thief he was a con man But Jesus said, we're going to your house. The lepers, nobody liked lepers. And again, with good reason. (laughs) You don't want leprosy, it's not cool. But the Lord reached out to them, touched them, healed their bodies. The children, mothers brought their children to Jesus that he might put his hands on them, the Bible says, and bless them. And the disciples were like, no, no, what we're doing here is too important. Take the children away. We don't have time for the children. And Jesus said, suffer the little children. Come unto me. And he took them and he blessed them. I have no idea. I can't tell you what impact that did or did not have on those children's lives when they grew up. But I promise you they remembered that experience. I promise you they remembered because Jesus stopped to care. He was walking to get, I think it was Jericho one day. Great mob pressing him. And a blind man on the side of the, a beggar, begins to cry out, Jesus. Our son of David, have mercy on me. And the people said, Shh, he's busy. But something in this blind man's heart began to cry out all the more. And Jesus stopped and said, Bring him here. Opened his eyes, completely changed his life. Amen. Jesus cares about every single one of you this morning. Your family may or may not. I don't know. You may have all sorts of problems and you think there's no answer i don't have the answer but he does he knows the way he can do the impossible he can take those things that you think there is no hope for and turn them around because he knows the way because you see when he went to calvary what he did on that cross what he paid for and the power that he demonstrated when he rose again made every situation possible There was no loophole there was no wall i didn't prepare for that or didn't allow for that he allowed for everything Bless the Lord. As this begins to play this morning, I want to open this altar for just a moment. I don't want to drag this on, but if you want to come and say, Lord, I need you to examine my ways. I want to be where you want me to be, Lord.